Welcome everyone to Moraine Park Technical College's Talent Talk podcast. I'm Kelly Karpinski, a Business Development Manager in Economic and Workforce Development of MPTC. Today we are talking with Peter Ulmer. Peter is a safety consultant and trainer who partners with businesses in OSHA compliance and audit preparation. He also conducts OSHA safety training as an MPTC adjunct instructor. Today, we have a potpourri of OSHA topics to discuss, including tips on how to prepare for an OSHA audit and details on any important 2024 updates to the OSHA rules. So, Peter, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you, Kelly. I appreciate the invitation. All right. Well, let's get started. Uh, so let's dive in. You shared with me the top 10 OSHA citations for fiscal year 2023, which ended in September. And there were two things that stood out to me. First, fall protection violations topped the list, hands down. Um, and that, that probably wasn't surprising to me. But what I found surprising was the number of violations increased in every category between fiscal 2022 and fiscal 2023. So do you know what happened there? Based on my experience, what I would think is that it's a combination of more and more businesses uh, putting up new buildings, as well as OSHA compliance officers doing more inspections. And let me explain a little bit more detail what I mean by that. So from a construction side of things, that is typically where you're going to find the highest violation. And when money is flowing and businesses are expanding, there's more activity. So there's more opportunity, if you will, for a business, unfortunately, in this case, fall protection to be cited. Because when you're working in that type of industry, OSHA can be driving down the roadway and see a building going up. And if they by chance notice something that doesn't look compliant, they can stop, uh, basically walk on the site, talk to the to people responsible for it, and go ahead and, and do an inspection on that. I've A few years ago, when I was consulting for a construction company, there was actually, that actually happened to a different contractor that was on site. They happened to be driving by, looked, saw something that didn't look compliant, stopped, went through the inspection process and found a violation. So it's the more opportunity is out there, the likelihood is it's an inspected and you have many companies, especially the larger companies, because we are focused in Wisconsin, you have a lot of the larger companies that are trying to do their best to improve that. However, you have so many companies out there. And unfortunately, based on my experience, not everybody is is up to date with compliant. And then you have some times where the employee, for whatever reason, um, don't know what's the best way to describe it, but basically doesn't follow through with the normal protocol to be compliant. And again, if it's noticed by OSHA, that's where it's going to happen. As I mentioned earlier, if you have more inspectors on site driving around local areas, there's more opportunities to see that because you have more people in the field looking for those type of compliance issues. Okay, great. Um 
not great, but <laughs> but great explanation. Thank you. <laughs> so we're talking inspections. I also mentioned audits. Can you tell me what the difference between those two are? Sure. Again, based on my experience and, and just for clarification, everything that we're going to talk about today is going to be based on my experience, my knowledge of, of OSHA. From a, a safety audit perspective, what they're going to do is look at your programs and your strategies, try to get an idea of how you have your safety plan set up within your respective organization. The inspection is going to actually evaluate those practices. So typically, not to jump too far ahead here, but because um, I know one of the topics you want to talk about is preparation for an inspection for an audit. So if there is something that comes up and OSHA goes to your facility, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, and an inspection is done, they're going to look through what programs do you have set up? Are they compliant? as well as if you say that you are having your employees wear, let's say, gloves for a certain task that is to be done, they're going to confirm that you are having your employees wear gloves. So it's one of those things that if you're going to have it in the program, you need to follow through with your, what you're stating you're going to do to take care of your employees. So, so again, the, go ahead. Oh, sorry. So it's, it sounds like kind of an inspection and audit can go hand in hand. Correct. Uh, let me give you an example of one situation I was in with a client. They had, uh, there was a, a phone call and, well, the thought was that an employee had a complaint. There was an employee complaint. What, what OSHA will do is if they feel the complaint is legitimate, there's a couple different avenues that they may take. One of them would be an on-site visit, which would be an audit and an inspection. So they inspected the program where the complaint was associated with the company, which in this particular case with, was forklifts. And then they also went ahead and looked at it and and did you did they see that from an inspection standpoint, you were following through with what your safety practices said. Sometimes they'll call it some businesses may call it a standard operating procedure. As an example, are you following through with what you're indicating the the program says? So if the program says that we are inspecting our forklifts before every shift, are you truly doing that? So that inspection could say, show me the inspection sheets to prove that you are inspecting your forklifts before every shift as an example. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, so um, obviously we, we've we already heard you've been part of a number of OSHA audits and, and consulting with businesses to help them prepare for one, right? Um, so what are things that OSHA is looking for in an audit? And I don't know, you know, if you, if it, if it differs based on the categories like fall protection and ladders and et cetera, uh, you know, can you kind of explain that process, what they're looking for? Sure. So I'll get, I'll give you, a, um, an example. If there's an injury that takes place, and depending on what the injury is, if you have to notify them within an eight hour or 24 hour period. Um, I'll give you an example of a uh, situation where a, a person had a uh, finger amputation. 
so the, the you have to let OSHA know within 24 hours that the amputation has taken place. Um, I would say, in my opinion and experience, it's guaranteed that they're going to show up. So when they show up, what they're going to look for traditionally, based on what I've seen, is they're going to look for the last three years of your OSHA 300 logs. Uh, they're also going to look through what are your safety programs and strategies for that particular task that the employee was performing when he had his finger, he or she had their finger amputated. Uh, and then, again, inspect the practices. So show them what you've done, what you have, your standard operating procedures, what, you, what training you've done, what you have in place to make sure that that employee did that task safely. So when that takes place and an, an audit and an inspection is done, was it something situation that the company had everything in order? And it was just for whatever reason, a bad decision on the employee standpoint, or was there something, let's say in the training or the standard operating procedure that wasn't there step-by-step step to make sure that the employee did it safely. So depending on what they find is going to dictate citations and, and, and follow-up and, and that type of, of information. And, and that type of information is, fairly true of of in of pretty much any type of whether it's an incident it, it sounds like an audit can happen if osha happens to be driving by and sees something and they do an inspection they want to do an audit if there's an employee complaint or if there's an actual workplace incident is is that all correct that is correct so so let me kind of give you a a, a um map, if you will, of, of what ex I've experienced. So whether it's an injury or let's say some type of complaint, what they'll do is they'll sh show up at your facility, they'll introduce themselves, show their credentials, and let, let the person who um, interacts with them know what's going to take place. Then uh, typically the organization will have somebody to represent them. They'll normally go in a room, conference room or whatever, um, the OSHA compliance officer will explain why they're there, what's the reasoning behind it. And then it, it could go a couple different ways, but they'll go through, they'll ask for some information, they'll ask for uh, the representative to take them to the area, let's say, of the incident or to the area of where the complaint is, is taking place. So um, I guess depending on who's listening to this, <laughs> who's going to be listening to this podcast, if there's only OSHA representatives out there, but from a business perspective, what you want to do is take them the shortest route from, let's say, the conference room that you had the initial meeting to that location of the incident or the complaint. And the reason for that is because as they are walking from point A to point B, if they see some things that look um, out of compliance, they can also take that into consideration. So, um, so what'll happen, they'll go through that process. Let's say that after they go through process and depending on the severity of it, I've been involved in OSHA um, inspections that have taken uh, a day. 
I've been involved where they've had two representatives be there for two days. So it really depends on the number of complaints, the number of incidences, and how much they have to look into that. So once you go through that process, they normally have expectations on the business. You have to supply them with information right away or within a certain time frame. And then what will happen is once that process has gone through, you'll receive a, an official letter in the mail of their findings, if there's any citations, that type of thing. And then they will give you the opportunity to have an informal conference to talk about that. And I've been part of those as well to say, yes, we understand that we're responsible. However, here are some things we've done since you've been there to correct them. Or yes, we understand why you've cited this. However, we respectfully disagree with some of these and we want to talk to you about it. So I've kind of, I've had people ask me this in the past and I use the example, think about it. If for some reason you're speeding and you get stopped by a police officer, how you treat that police officer may dictate the end result. You never want to be um, disrespectful to an OSHA compliant officer because that's not going to end well based on my experience. So you want to be as respectful to them as possible, provide them with information that they request, not too much, but provide them with what they request and, and work through the process. I had one, in the, one uh, president of a company one time asked me and said, Pete, so if we do everything that we can, compliance-wise, training-wise, et cetera, and we have an employee that makes a bad decision and gets injured, and it's it's serious enough to where OSHA gets involved, is it possible we would still receive a citation? And I said, and I told him, yes. I said, look at it this way though. If you do everything to prepare the employee to work as safely as possible, and there's still an incident, that is going to go better for you than if they come in and look and you did not do this, you did not do that, you did not train them, you did not have a standard operating procedure for that employee to follow, then that's going to make things worse. So number one, safety for the employees is a priority. Um, and, and then obviously you have to take the business into consideration. So let's go back to that top 10 list. Talk maybe maybe about the top three. Uh, I had mentioned um, fall protection was top of the list, and I think that was true of previous year. Uh, so if you just want to kind of go through maybe the top three for, for our audience and tell us what they are and, you know, any thoughts you have about, about why they might be so prevalent. Sure. One of them it, it varies from year to year. Traditionally, the top 10 are, are relatively consistent other than the order that they show up with, with the exception again of, of fall protection. One of the things that surprised me this year in some ways was that hazard communication, also known as global harmonization system, was within the top three. And that is what I what I will call low-hanging fruit from my perspective, meaning that if the business trains their employees properly on that and they follow the guidelines for that, that should not be high at the list. But what I'm hearing from other safety professionals is that the businesses are either not training their employees or and or 
they're not, if they do train them, they're not following through with something as simple as at least what I would consider to be labeling what's called secondary containers. So that if you do have an OSHA inspection and they're walking through your facility and they see containers that are not labeled with what the contents is, that is that is uncompliant. Also, safety data sheets is, are very important. Um, safety data sheets, businesses have to have a safety data sheet available for all employees 24 seven, basically. So it doesn't matter from OSHA's perspective if it's hard copy form, electronic or both, but it has to be accessible. So an example, one time with a client was OSHA had an inspection, saw a container of a chemical, it was labeled properly. However, they went up to the employee and said, um, could you please tell me where you could show me the safety data sheet for that chemical that's five feet away from you? And the employee unfortunately couldn't, couldn't tell the compliance officer. Now, whether it was just a stressful situation or the employee truly was not trained in either event. So OSHA is gonna look a little bit closer to that. So that in itself can be compliant. So when I say it's low hanging fruit from my perspective, you go through and in my recommendation, you train the employee that's one of the safety topics you train the employee when they when they go through the normal orientation project of, of the facility. And then depending on what their job is, there's going to be that, that potential for extra training, labeling, where the safety data sheets are located that they can access them, et cetera. If you follow all of that process, there should not be an issue from a hazard communication standpoint, if OSHA comes in and inspects your facility, unfortunately, with that being in the top three, that tells me that there was a lot of inspections done and the outcome of that was that the businesses were not dotting the I's and crossing the T's in all those different areas. One of the <laughs> other ones, one of the other ones that, that uh, talk, that sticks out is lockout tagout. Um, and that's something too that that's very close to home. Fortunately, I have not dealt with any anyone that I know of, but I've talked to some fellow safety professionals where that has had a very bad income. Um, if anybody is not familiar with lockout takeout, it's a process to basically control hazardous energy. So if I'm working at a paper mill, let's say, and I'm working on a paper machine and what makes that paper machine run is electrical and, and let's say pneumatic and all these energy sources and something happens and there has to be repairs made on the machine, let's say. What you would do is you would have people that are considered authorized employees, traditionally the maintenance department that would be authorized to go and make the repairs on the machine. So there would be a lockout takeout process for that specific machine that in this example, the maintenance department would follow to make sure that every energy source that's considered on that machine is locked out and to make sure that there is no residual energy possible. So when somebody is in there or multiple people are in different parts of the machine, that there's no way, even though let's say the power is shut off, that there's no residual energy. So that's why many times you'll hear the term lockout, tryout, tag out. So the machine is locked out. Everybody feels comfortable. Nobody's in, in the danger zone, if you will. They try to turn the machine on. Nothing's, nothing happens. There's no residual energy. Okay we're good to go and then follow that process. So either 
for the where that comes into play is either there's not a process for doing that, which that may sound strange or somebody may say seriously. Yes, seriously. <laughs> Secondly, it's not being followed properly. And then third, one of the other parts of that would be the annual inspections in, by the company. And what that means is, let's just say for the sake of discussion, um, Kelly, that you're you're my supervisor and I'm working on a machine and I'm authorized to perform lockout takeout on an annual basis. What you or another designated person should be doing to say, okay, Pete, you know what? I would like you to take me through this lockout takeout process for let's say paper machine number one. So I show to you, I go step by step. Here's where I lock out, let's say electrical. Here's where I, I lock out um, pneumatic, let's say whatever, there's multiple energy sources. It does two things. What it does is number one, confirms that I am still competent to do that task. And why that may seem offensive to some people, at the end of the day, lockout, takeout can end in death, to be quite frank. So that's why it's important. Secondly, let's say that for some reason there was modifications made on that machine. And for whatever reason, those modifications, which may have altered one of the lockout takeout processes were never updated. So that's an opportunity as well to say, oh, wait a minute, I've got seven steps here, but here's a new energy source and I don't have it on the existing lockout takeout process. So that's a way then to, to back check and make sure that there's an issue that we have to resolve. Um, we I've, I could tell multiple stories, unfortunately, with lockout takeout. Um, I'm just trying to think there's there's a video and I apologize. I can't think of the woman's name, but just to, to quickly tell you about it. Um, she goes around and she speaks publicly. Now, what happened a number of years ago is her and her best friend started working at this company. They started at eight o'clock in the morning by 1030 that morning. Uh, one of one of the women had lost her arm. And it was due to the lack of a lockout takeout procedure. She did something she wasn't supposed to do while the machine was running. She lost her arm. So she's taken that situation. And again, she publicly speaks. There's a video out there uh, that shows that. And when I do training for lockout takeout, I show that video as well to just kind of reconfirm what can happen there's other stories i won't i won't share with you today but there's other stories of things happening in northeastern wisconsin of people getting seriously injured because the lock the lack of following that lockout takeout procedure so that doesn't necessarily surprise me that that was within osha's top 10 list but it is very unfortunate because again that that definitely can be a life and death situation Let's talk about 2024. There are changes to some of the requirements that went into effect um, as of January 1. What do companies need to know? Sure. So a couple of things. Uh, one is it's very easy if companies are looking for, um, you know, what changes have taken place. It's very easy to access that through the OSHA website. It's www.osha.gov. Uh, you can also sign up for their newsletter. Uh, which has quick takes and different stuff like that. Don't feel if you sign up for that, that that gives them a chance to spy on you or however you want to describe it. That's not the case, at least in my experience. But that will help you stay up to date with what's going on. Um, also, and I know budgets can be very difficult, but if in any way possible for businesses to try to have a safety person on site 
to handle that is going to be very helpful and very beneficial. As you can understand, I've dealt with companies throughout the years that there may be somebody that has multiple hats, and that is one of their responsibilities. But unfortunately, they don't have the time. So trying to make that uh, trying to make that definitely a priority within the respective businesses. Um, one of the things that they're looking at changes for 2024 are reporting for companies to reporting. So if you have 100 or more employees in certain hazard areas, OSHA's expectation is in addition to the annual electronic reporting that companies are doing is they're looking at also um, getting to them the OSHA 300 log um, and the OSHA 301 information to them, which my interpretation of that is they're going to use that and potentially focus on certain industries of, let's say, a certain industry or certain business is having a lot of incidences. Why is the case for that? Why is that happening? So that's going to give them a chance to, to kind of keep tabs on that, if you will, and, and jump on anything that they may see is serious. Uh, one of the other things that they're talking about from a business perspective is increasing what they're going to issue for citations as well as willful or repeated. So just let me quickly let, let the listeners know with that. So uh, right now, uh, maximum for serious or other than serious goes from 15625 to 16131 and then the maximum penalty for a willful or repeated violation is going to go from 156,259 to 161,323. So anytime there's a safety incident, obviously it, that's it's unfortunate, no matter what it is, that these numbers sometimes what forces companies that may be a little relaxed, I'll call it, when it comes to safety to really say, hey, you know what? Nobody has a budget set aside traditionally for OSHA. We need to take this into consideration. Just real quickly, you and your listeners may, may have heard recently that there was a company in Wisconsin that was uh, fined $1.4 million. Um, as a safety professional, I dug a little deeper into that and you can find out on the OSHA website businesses that do have citations. Now, why is that important? Well, two reasons. Number one is because, again, it puts businesses at risk. If I'm considering doing business with, let's say, ABC Company, and I'm doing a little research, and I find out that they've had a lot of citations, et cetera, depending on what type of business relationship we're looking at, I may be hesitant to do that because am I putting my business potentially at risk if I'm going to get into a business partnership with them and let's say something happens to one of their employees that is working on a project associated with my business and let's say there's some type of legal ramifications, could I get pulled into that because I'm part of that project? So those are things to consider as well when you're looking at just from a dollars and cents standpoint. Some other things, mental health, uh, OSHA is going to focus on that in 2024. Are businesses putting their employees in a safe day-to-day -day situation or potentially are there mental challenges that they're looking at? Uh, chemical safety measures, again, it kind of goes back to that hazard communication. GHSs that we talked about, enforcement policies, just kind of quickly going over to some of that record keeping is, is very, very important. I want to just take a moment and touch on something I said earlier about an OSHA inspection. 
why they will traditionally come in and ask for the last three years of your OSHA 300 logs is because if, let's say, they're there for an injury and they look at those logs and there's been incidences over the past years that are similar to that incident that they're there for, they're going to say, well, wait a minute. Okay, this is, let's hypothetically say, the fourth incident that happened and now we had an amputation. Why didn't you correct this process, whether it's standard operating procedures, guardian, whatever, those three other times? Why did it take this fourth time in an amputation and now we're here inspecting and auditing before something is done? So they're looking for history. They're looking for consistency to see if you're willfully neglecting keeping your employees safe. Thank you very much. That was um, a great roundup for 2024. And um, interesting that, you know, not not surprising probably, but interesting that they're wrapping mental health into, um, into some OSHA reporting and regulations. So very interesting. Well, thank you very much, Peter. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise. I think we promised a potpourri of, of OSHA topics. I think we delivered. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, you're very welcome, Kelly. I sincerely appreciate the opportunity to talk about safety. As uh, you probably gathered from our discussion today, I'm very passionate about it and like to share information to help companies, employees stay safe and uh, not have any incidences that are going to affect their themselves and their family life. Right. Absolutely. We want everybody to go home the way they walked into work and uh, keep, and it hurts productivity and it, it just is a domino effect. So all good information. Thank you so much, Kelly. Listeners, you can be among the first to know about future Talent Talk podcasts and much more by subscribing to our newsletter. To do that, visit moranepark.edu slash newsletter. That's moranepark.edu slash newsletter. That concludes today's Talent Talk podcast. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.